Hello and welcome to Post-Exertional Mayonnaise. Um, this episode we've got Sally Callow with us who's a social entrepreneur, an advocate and an ME activist. Is that a good way of describing you, Sally? Yep, that sums <laughs> me up perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you just want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your kind of ME journey, maybe life before ME and then becoming ill and how that impacted you? Okay, yeah. Um, so I've actually had... ME or rather ME like um, illnesses twice. The first time was in my teenage years. Um, I never actually got a diagnosis, but once I got sick a second time, I realized actually this is the same thing. Um, mm. And I've spoken to ME specialists and they said, yeah, it sounds like you're a stereotypical ME patient. You have had it before and now it's come back. Um, so yeah, so I had it in my teenage years between 13 and 15. Um, which is why I know a bit about how schools can support people who have ME at school um, with home learning and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they were doing that when I was at school in the, would have been early 90s. Um, mm, same thing and my school found it quite easy. Anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I did 13 to 15 and then life just got back to normal. I, you know, got a job, was living life great. Um, and then I went to university. In, I was a mature student. And I decided to do a master's degree, moved home to save money, moved in with my parents. And two weeks into my master's degree, um, I got really poorly. I got labyrinthitis. Um, I didn't have a clue about what CFS was, what ME was, what ME-CFS is. Um, and it took me two and a half years to get a diagnosis because symptoms just never stopped once I recovered from the labyrinthitis. Um, Two and a half years. And when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed by a locum GP who said, um, I think you've got CFS. Think yourself lucky you haven't got ME because that is so much worse. <laughs> now, now I'm an ME expert. I'm doing bunny ears. Um, that sentence makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, yes, he's mm. right. CFS isn't as significant as ME, but... He hadn't tested me against the ME diagnostic criteria. I did have PEM. He didn't ask me about my cognitive difficulties or anything like that. It was purely focused on the fatigue. Anyway, so that's how I was diagnosed. Um, and that was back in 2006. So I've now had um, CFS, ME CFS um, mm. since then. So how many years is that? That's 617? 2006, like 17 years this uh, October, November. So yeah, it's so a long time. Um, but I didn't really know anything about my disease. Um, I didn't know anything about the struggles of the ME community until I became an advocate. And I kind of learned on the job. So everything I know about ME, MECFS and CFS now, I've been, le I've been learning since I've been an advocate. And that started in 2014. Hmm. So, so what, what led you to become going from kind of being a patient to then being a patient advocate in that sense? In, in what, what sort of drove you into the, 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 the activism side of things with Emmy? Okay, now I'm going to be completely 100% honest. Right, so I used to work at a university library and somebody that I worked with was Teddy Sitting and it was to do with anyone that follows the Grand Prix knows Papa Smurf? 
Um, I think that's Jensen Button's dad, possibly. Uh, okay. um, it was to raise awareness of, I think it was a heart problem. I could be completely getting this wrong, but I, know, I remember Papa Smurf. Anyway, um, and she was talking me through sending a teddy, raise awareness of something. And I thought, hang on a minute. If I've got CFS and it's awful and it's impacting my life and it's stigmatised and very few people seem to know what it is, I'm ME must be so much worse, just like that locum GP said. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and raise as much money as I can for ME. So that afternoon, I emailed the ME Association and said, I had a vague idea of doing this. Is it okay if I fundraise for you? And that's how it started. I knew nothing about ME or CFS. Um, but I started writing blogs. I started doing my own research, talking to the community. And I was like, are you joking? I have got ME. I meet the criteria. Mm. And that's how it grew. But it was supposed to just be, ME Foggy Dog was initially a one-year fundraiser to raise as much money as possible for research for the ME Association, because I, I emailed them and said, I know you do advocacy and support, but I want to concentrate on research. Can you make sure every penny goes to research? Yes, that's fine. So mm. every penny I've ever raised has gone to biomedical research, which I'm really pleased about. And it's, I think I'm near 13,000 now, so that's good. Wow. Um, what started off as a very informal, quirky fundraiser. Um, but yeah, it just grew grew and grew and I still do the fundraising but now as you said at the beginning I'm a social entrepreneur I do quite a bit of activism so um it's so much more than a fundraiser but that's how it started it was just a tiny idea from somebody doing something vaguely similar um because they didn't do awareness raise and they were literally just babysitting this teddy taking a couple of photos and sending it on somewhere else um but yeah Foggy's much bigger than Papa Smurf within mm -hmm. our community um but i guess if you follow grand prix stuff then you would know about papa smurf and you know it's just as important to them as foggy is to to us mm. and our community so basically you've got a small uh stuffed teddy a dog and um i think i read on the website that it was kind of reminding you of your own dog that that you'd had in the past and that was something that was kind of uh, a motivator for it but and it foggy ends up getting sort of sent all over the world is that right that's right yep so as i explained the uh, the thing about the sending a teddy i thought well my dog patch who is now no longer with us um my dog patch was incredibly clingy and i'm not just talking about a bit snuggly he'd literally sit and stare at me when i had post-exertional malaise and i thought well, if i'm going to send a teddy i'm going to look for a teddy that looks like patch and do the whole dog thing so, yeah, that's where it came from. Um, and like I say, Patch is no longer with us. But my second dog isn't as clingy when I'm going through mm -hmm. Pem, which is really strange. Um, Patch was definitely unique. But but now it's... And when Foggy first started, I don't know if they just didn't look at the photos properly, but so many people thought that Patch and Foggy were the same thing. <laughs> the oh, okay. eye patch is on the same eye, like literally identical. Um I can clearly see one's a teddy and one isn't. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so many people were like, oh, you've got two dogs exactly the same. That's amazing. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, but that's how it started. And there's lots of little bits about my life that are tied into Foggy and Foggy's character. Because um, I'm a big believer in storytelling. So I thought, well, if I'm going to create a character, I'm going to create like a backstory. So that's why he likes Watsits and a cup of tea, milk, two sugars. <laughs> Because anyone that lives in uh, England, particularly, but the UK, if you go around 
if you're lucky enough to be able to go around other people's houses if they ask you what you want to drink if you want a cup of tea it's black one sugar black no sugars milk two sugars whatever mm. so and obviously the what's it's thing i've got no idea where that came from because i didn't used to like what's it's but yeah anyway, <laughs> so i just kind of created a whole story and it's really difficult sometimes to see whether people like me for my advocacy and activism and campaigning or whether they're like foggy for the teddy because it varies depending on who you're talking to it could be a number of different reasons for why they follow foggy but whatever their motive is they are all learning about me which i love so whatever gets them to the um to the awareness raising is fantastic and i don't care whether that's a soft toy or an email that i've sent to a politician as long as they're engaging with me as a subject yeah no and it's it, it it just seemed and i remember when i sort of first became ill in 2018 i'd see i'd see things about foggy dog online but i would i wasn't kind of properly aware of what it was all about and and then that, that sort of that awareness sort of slowly grows because it, it, it's such a um it, it's such a dynamic kind of even just the the sort of logo that you've got it's quite striking isn't it and it, it's sort of quite unique in a sense so it kind of pops up and it, it sticks in your mind in a way so yeah it's i think even just the 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 selling the idea has worked really well because people can people it's instantly recognizable isn't it so um, yeah i mean over yeah. the years i've agonized over oh should i rebrand should i bother with foggy anymore and i just think I've come such a long way with him. It feels a bit silly to get rid because I'm kind of mm. identifiable from that now. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's here to stay. So, um, yeah, it's just fact of life that it's grown. And now there are so many different aspects of everything. But there's people that have been there from day one. There's people that have only been following Foggy for a week. Mm. But, you know, they all have their different reasons. But I'm just happy that so many people follow me. Mm, no, it's it's brilliant, and and just the the raising awareness of it is it's it's good. So, um, and then where does where does sort of stripy light bulb come in, and how did that develop, and where? Because that, that's a whole different kind of kettle of fish in, in itself, isn't it? And you're training people in in learning about ME in an educational way. So, um, where did that come from, and and how does it? How do you manage that on a sort of like a a day to day basis? with your Emmy as well uh I don't <laughs> um, <Right>. no <laughs> right so um as I've said so Emmy Foggy Dog started in 2014 and as you'll know I chat to an awful lot of people online all the time about all sorts of things related to Emmy whether it's um MP do your job for me or um just silly things that crop up day to day and does anybody else experience this anyway so between 2014 and 2016, I started to notice that a heck of a lot of our problems, our community's problems, hmm. are made worse through education. So this is like eight years ago now. And I thought, would I be able to create training? And if I created training, what would it look like? And I thought, well, I have not got a medical background, but I genuinely do not think that that's a hindrance because um, I was chatting to my stripy directors the other day and they said, you can't offer medicalized training to every single clinician because depending on what specialty you work in, there's not enough research for every single specialty to have a medicalized training. 
thing. I mean, one hour on how to diagnose training is one thing, but going into the history of the medical side mm. of it, it's more tricky. Um, so, you know, so I did some teacher training because if I was going to do training, I wanted to make sure it was fit for purpose and it was good. Um, mm. My master's degree was in social research. So I'm actually a researcher, qualified researcher. Mm. So I thought, right, I'll do teacher training. I'll do some training on how to be a social entrepreneur. But I had to drop out of that because it wasn't Emmy appropriate. I had mm. to have rest breaks on the floor of the training program room mm. Um, on a Pilates mat because somebody in the course was trying to launch a social enterprise that involved yoga. <laughs> so um, anyway, so that in itself was eye-opening because this this organisation that was saying, well, we want to help you to train people at what ME is, weren't supporting me in their learning environment because they didn't understand what ME was. <laughs> so all kinds of organisations need to learn what ME is because ME patients are everywhere. Yeah. We're, you know, those of us on the mild side of the spectrum are in workplaces and those workplaces are all sorts of sectors. Um, some can and some can't adapt to support people with ME, but those that can should know how to support people. Anyway, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. I'll come back a bit. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is back in 2016, teach training, um, social enterprise training. And then... Um, People listening to this that were following Foggy at the time will know that I did crowdfunding because I thought um, social enterprises work for the benefit of communities. In my case, that's the MECFS community. And um, I thought, right, then if I'm going to work for the benefit of the community, I wonder if the community would want to, to help me crowdfund to cover startup costs. So I launched a crowdfunder. I was successful. And then within, I think, three months, I'd launched Stripey Lightbulb CIC. The CIC is Community Interest Company, anyone that doesn't know that. Um, and the name Stripey Lightbulb, now this is really random. Yes, it does have an ME meaning. Um, it means, right, I, I have posted about this before. Um, I've just got to try and remember what the what the meaning is. Hang on, I haven't said it for a while. Um, right, so a visual metaphor for ME is uh, no sorry <laughs> a visual mm. metaphor for education is a light bulb and having me is like living in a cage if you mm. were looking at that light bulb from within the cage it would be stripey stripey light bulb that's how it see there is an me meaning mm -hmm. and an education meaning but one thing i will say anyone i've had criticism why hasn't it got me in the title oh no one's going to know that that's me Anytime I've been to a business event, whether it's online or in person since 2018, I can say it once to somebody, they come back to me 20 minutes later and they can remember the name of the business. Mm. That's why you don't have a bland, generic name because people do not remember what it is. Um, mm. And it's very bold, colorful logo and I want the whole brand to be big and bold so it's blue and yellow and white um and emmy foggy dog is red blue and white um because it's it's bold because although the mm. the um the nature of emmy is quiet um because of so many sensitivities and lack of energy when you're trying to get attention of people from outside of our community you kind of need to be impactful so that's mm. why and i know i got criticized but like i say it's it's so that I reach as many people as possible. And they don't normally see the name without an adjoining website or 
an advert mm. or something. So there's always that connection there. Um, so it's a stripy light bulb was launched in September 2018, but the, it took me six months to create the training. Um, because of rules and regulations, I had to launch at a certain time and I had to make sure I had products within a certain time. So I had six months to create the training. Um, yeah, we, we launched in March 2019. That's when the training itself was launched. Um, and we offer training for healthcare, any healthcare, any whatsoever. Um, employers um, in any sector and education, because there are three sectors that my advocacy has shown me patients additionally struggle because of the lack of education. And the um, objective, one of the objectives of Stripey Light Bulb is to smash the stigma by educating people outside of our community. Um, and 50% of our surplus, so surplus is profit, but we're a not-for-profit, so they call mm. it surplus. 50% of our surplus, when we make some, <laughs> will mm -hmm. go to QME. Um, mm. Because I saw someone say this morning, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Stripey Light Bulb has now existed for five years this September. And yet yeah. people still see it as a new education, as a new thing. We've been around for five mm. years, but you can't force people to do the training. I can't tell you how many meetings I've had with MPs, government departments, DWP, for example, Job Centre, for example. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll train our, uh, what do you call them, uh, job seekers on ME. And it's like, no, 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 it's not your job seekers that need to know what mm. ME is. It's your staff that mm. need to know what ME is. I've had so many, hundreds of conversations. And if those people had thought that ME is as, as say, significant as it actually is, they would have signed up. But they just think, it's fatigue so it's, mm. it's difficult and i think sometimes people think oh yeah there is training people are doing it it's like not necessarily you cannot make a horse drink even if you lead it to water mm. so it is really difficult it's really difficult um but you know in it for the so long that, haul is it online training or do you go in person sometimes or do, is it a mixture of things or we were solely online because um, it fits in entirely with my ME. It's fully automated. Mm. So if anybody wants right, to do so. it, they literally go to the website, buy it. And we've currently got a pay what you can afford scheme uh, okay. to acknowledge the cost of living crisis. We could offer it for free, but I think sometimes when you offer something for free, it devalues it. And mm. we are a social enterprise that raises research funding. Can't do that if you offer it for free. So, um, yeah, so it, we've, I think it was £59 for three hours of training, but now it's anything from £10 and above. So whatever mm -hmm. people want to pay for it. But it's three hours, it's CPD accredited. Um, and yeah, so people just go to the website, add a course to their checkout basket um, and buy it. And then once you've bought it, you've got access. You set up your own logins and you can work your way through it and you can start and stop whenever you like. It's fully accessible. Um, and I would say that when I created the training, I deliberately made it as easy to understand as possible. As I said, I've, already, I've got a master's in social research, so it's very well researched. All the feedback is very well researched. She obviously knows what she's talking about. Um, but I explain it in basic language. And it's uh, because I did the teacher training, it's 
a wide range of different resources and learning techniques and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it is really good, even if I do say so myself, <laughs> and it has won awards. So, mm. um, uh, but yeah, so what you learn about is, um, so what the name, all the name issue, you know, the name issue, mm. stigma, um, the history of ME, how we got to where we are now, the post trials included, how to diagnose ME, uh, what ME presents like, how it presents in learning, education and working environments so that whichever course people are doing, whether they are an employer, whether they are a teacher or a healthcare professional, they'll be able to see the difficulties patients have in that environment. And then we offer support techniques and reasonable adjustments specific to those sectors for each course. Right. You don't learn something you don't need to know, in other words. You don't need mm. to learn how a healthcare provider needs to support an ME patient if you are a teacher. So yeah, it's all all three are slightly different. Um and yeah, and every single person has just we've had positive feedback. I think the worst mm. feedback we've had was good. <laughs> the best we've had is excellent. So yeah. Yeah, I'm very happy with it. It's just I, I need more people to do it and I cannot force people. Yeah. Uh, but it must be it must be encouraging when you get feedback and it's almost like you see that shift in people's minds and understanding of kind of what it is from that stigmatised position to something that's a bit more enlightened and, okay, this makes sense now. And, and I think it's almost like people come into it with, a, with an, an initial sense of an idea of what ME is and hopefully come out the other side informed and that that must be really um yeah that must feel like you've really achieved something through that even if it's you know a, a small number of people but yeah you we want as many people as possible to understand don't we and, and particularly yeah, in education is, and i mean and health i can't and, think off the top of my head i can't quantify it how many people have done our training but even if i've reached it's, it's a lot more than a handful but even if i've reached only a handful of people those people then go back to where they work and they might be talking to people either about our training, but also actually, could we implement this in our workplace because it might help people. And I've also said that we have many symptoms that overlap with other chronic diseases and chronic illnesses. Mm. So I've said, although this training is specific to MECFS, these are the comorbidities. And if you implement X, Y, Z, it will also help these people. So because quite often I get messages saying, oh, why are you ignoring fibro? Why are you ignoring long COVID? It's like, I'm not. Do our training and you'll see what I mean when I say I'm not. But I think mm. you have to be specific when it comes to education. Otherwise, it gets too vague and too mm. non-specific, And then you're not mm. actually helping anybody. So mm. and to be perfectly frank, ME is such a massive issue on its own. It deserves yeah. its own training. Um, yeah. And there is yeah. more than enough to fill three hours of training. You could probably fill a degree course like one semester, <laughs> couldn't you, mm. really? Um, yeah. And I've managed to narrow it down to three hours of the absolute bare minimum that people need to know if they're professionals and have a duty of care. Um, but in mm. answer to your question, is that all? I don't mean all as in a bad thing, but is that what we offer? We've recently started offering face-to-face -face training days We've just had one in, the, in uh, Cardiff and we invited all sorts of healthcare professionals, uh, teachers and employers from the local area. 
and we had a few people from government turn up, which was nice. Um, mm. And it was very well received. But I do think you have to be willing to learn about ME to even consider it in the first place. And yeah. as we know, there are too many people that won't even contemplate mm. learning. Um, mm. And I'm now we've now put funding in to do one in Scotland. So um, because we're doing the devolved nations because they are, although England's not got a lot, um, they, they've got even less than we've got. So we've done Wales. We're mm. going to do Scotland if we get funding um, and then see where we go from there. Mm. So so you've got all these things happening and going on and then you decide to organise a benefit concert. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So um, kind of where did the... Because on, on our podcast, we, we like talking about creativity and... and um, and and you seem like very much like an ideas person and and that yeah where did where did this sort of idea for that come from and, and it's quite a creative thing to decide to do to do something completely different in that sense so um yeah tell us a bit about redefining gravity <laughs> right well yet again it came from something very small and it just just like it exploded everywhere um so Daniel, no, last year, but literally a year ago, I was saying, I'm pretty sure doing basic maths, we've got a million people with ME now, or mm. rather that meet ME criteria. So I've been thinking, we have got sky high levels of people now. Where is the increase in funding? Mm. And every week we're seeing government decisions or government responses to tabled parliamentary questions where it says, this isn't an issue oh, we're helping. It's like, well, as a patient myself, I am not feeling that progress mm. and that help. Mm. So I was thinking, right, we've got a heck of a lot more people. We need something that's going to grab the attention of millions of people. So um, I just started thinking, hang on a minute, everybody likes music. Whether whether you're a very severe patient that can't listen to music or you're a, ve or a severe patient that can listen to music, occasionally you know i think music is like a universal language so i started to think how can i get something that's newsworthy because i keep being told we're not going to write an article about xyz because it's not newsworthy and i thought mm. right then if we're going to grab it by the scruff of the neck what do i really want to do and foggy's got a bucket list so he's had things to tick off for a few years and on it it's, uh, I said this during the launch, and on it it says Foggy wants to stand on Wembley stage and say, hello, Wembley. Obviously, that would be me because Foggy doesn't talk. Um, so I started thinking, concert, raising awareness and funds. Um, and I'd, I needed to do a bit of Googling about other search engines are available. I needed <laughs> to do a little bit of Googling about what the current research funding is from UK government. Mm. Um, but the... The most recent stat I could find was 2019, and that was 200. Now I'm probably going to get it wrong, but it's around 250,000. No, 450,000 pound in 2019-20. I think that's right. But the the funding stats for the last couple of years have been missing, right. and I was thinking, well, even if they've doubled that, that's still no more than a tenner per patient per year. No. And we, we, know, we know that MS and Parkinson's get around £40 per patient per year. So I was thinking, we've got sky-high levels of patients now, and that research funding is not, as far mm. as we know, is not going up. And I thought, right then, I can either bang my head against a brick wall for the next decade, 
asking for more money, more money, more money. Or we can have a concept where we take control of that narrative and we say, actually, this is what ME is. This is why we need research funding because so much has been wasted on psych research. Um, and it gives us the opportunity to redefine the, the narrative um, around ME. Right. You know, I'm sick and tired of reading biased um, newspaper articles and thinking that doesn't represent me. That's not what's actually happening in our community. So I just thought, right, music, huge, raise lots of money, make it newsworthy so that we actually get in the press instead of reacting to stuff that's in the press. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I, I launched Redefining Gravity because, as I explained it during the launch, gravity's kind of got two meanings. Gravity's kind of the, um, the gravitas of the situation, represents mm. that. But it also there's the gravity that keeps us grounded, that keeps us stuck down, um, and by that I mean the BPS mob, um, government decisions, neglect from medical establishments, all that. Let's redefine mm. it. Let's create our own destiny, future, um, and change the way that gravity in terms of that, you know, that's how life works, um, the gravity surrounding ME. Let's change it. Let's redefine mm. it. I'll probably explain that really badly, but sorry, it's been a long no, day. No, that um, makes sense. Yeah, so because a few uh, a couple of people gave me a bit of backlash and said, "Oh, it doesn't say ME in the title," and it's mm. like it doesn't have to say ME. All these organisations mm. that have called themselves ME this and ME that are all going to have to rebrand if they ever do a name change. That's why, mm. I, apart from ME Foggy Dog, because that's at the very start of my ME work when I didn't know about name changes and rebranding efforts and all the rest mm. of it. You don't always have to have ME in the, the title. In fact, to get other people's attention, it probably helps to stay away from it. But then in the, so the title is we need to, ch to change, we need social change. And then underneath, because ME is neglected, stigmatised. That's how mm. I do things. Because I find if you say ME in the first sentence, they switch off instantly. If you explain the problem and then say, this is ME, you get a little bit more attention. That's my mm. own personal lived experience of advocacy and activism. Um, mm. But yeah, so the challenge is, and I've, I've called it a challenge. I actually emailed Annika Rice. I don't know if I've said this. I emailed Annika Rice two weeks before we launched and I said, I know this is nothing to do with challenge, challenge Annika, but it's kind of inspired by challenge mm. Annika in terms of this is a problem. We need to have this. And instead of it being a football hub for a group of under 12 boys to have a kick around, let's have a new pitch. It's There are now 1.25 people estimated to have our disease. We need research funding and we're going to create this concert to get that. Um, so I just said, if this was your challenge, how would you do it? She didn't reply. You never know. There's plenty of time, Annika, if you want to, you know, <laughs> send me a message. But I just said, how would you do it? Um because anyone that's watched that program decades ago will know she's done things like charity adverts on TV. She's mm. she's done the whole charity trying to get attention thing. Um, so Challenge Annika was basically, here is a problem, a charity needs something, and they ask lots of volunteers to come together to do stuff for free, offering materials, time, energy, um, publicity, everything is for free. And she got so much stuff done. And I just started thinking, right then, 
if I can communicate how bad the situation is around ME, CFS, anyone that follows my advocacy knows that I prefer ME as a term myself. I, don't, I really mm. don't like ME, CFS, but you have to use it. Um, mm. Anyone that knows us, the difficulties experienced by everybody in our community from, you know, to big big issues to small issues. Um, I've lost my train of thought. Everybody that knows. We were talking about uh, organising the logistics, I guess the logistics of it, were you? or? Um... Yes, yes. So... I think part of the biggest part of the challenge is getting people to see the need for um, awareness and for research funding. Because I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people and they say, yeah, but I saw a newspaper article the other day and it said that, you know, uh, GPs are getting trained. Or I saw the thing about the nice guideline. Well, that's really good. Mm -hmm. That's going to stop the harm, isn't it? Or, um, oh, I saw the government just increase their research. This was a while ago. I saw the government increase the research funding. That's really good. But that has not filtered down to patient no. level. None no. of us have felt the difference yet. And, you know, and how much longer do we have to go before we feel improvement? Um, no. And I speak from a personal perspective and the people that I talk to every day on social media. No. Um Anyway, yeah, so the, the massive, the biggest part of the challenge is getting people to understand the need. Um, and it is a struggle. I have to admit, I've sent so many emails out and I haven't, I've had one reply, Muse, the agent of Muse, the band, oh, well. emailed mm. me back and said, oh, they're going to be on a world tour. They can't help, but mm. good luck. Nobody else has bothered. And I'm like, do they know how much of an issue ME mm. is? Because uh, other than on ME charity social media accounts and ME charity websites, it has not been publicly acknowledged that we've now got 1.25 million people that meet our criteria. Hmm. So when I saw that yeah. thing last week, the consultation where it said 241,000, it's like it wasn't even made clear in that newspaper article that that's the confirmed cases, people with a diagnosis. Hmm. It still said hmm. estimate next to it. It's like, no, that's not an estimate, that's coding. Mm. um anyway yeah so you know it is huge and anyone listening to this if you want to get involved please do even if that's limited to just retweeting some redefining gravity stuff but it's proving to be incredibly difficult but i've given myself a year to put on this concert for a minimum of 1500 people and i put a a seating target because i didn't want to just have a gig in a local pub I don't yeah. think that reflects the urgency and the severity of the problem. So I thought, mm. well, if I'd prefer 20,000 plus in a stadium, mm. you know, up to 80,000. But if I have to do small, then no, no less than 1,500. And it's got mm. to be in the week of the 16th of July next year, because that marks my 10 year anniversary of ME campaigning. Wow. So... I'd, you know, I wasn't going to mark it. And then I thought, well, if I've got to choose a date, I'll link it to my 10 year anniversary. So, mm. so yeah. So, um, and I want A-listers <laughs> because again, that reflects the significance of the occasion. Yeah. And we need people to be willing to pay a lot of money for a ticket 
because we need mm. that money to go to research funding. Mm. And so I, it's, you not, know, it's, it's not a free concert in a sense, but it's something that the aim is to raise the money for it as well, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. Just think Live Aid yeah. or the Freddie Mercury concert. They yeah. were both fundraisers and there is no reason why that can't happen for ME. Yeah. But the one stumbling block is a stigma and the neglect is so bad. Mm. People do not realise that it is now an emergency. Before COVID, mm. I was calling it a global crisis. So the yeah. next step up from that, as we know with the climate crisis, is now a climate emergency. The next step up is, is emergency. So, you know, how many more people have now have got to die from the disease or from neglecting hospitals? Hmm. It's like, no, we've got too many people with the same disease now, as in the same core criteria. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, so, yes, I'm an ideas person. I've got absolutely no idea if it will work. But if you don't try, it's never going right. to work. So yeah. I'm definitely in it for the long haul. Um and I, I told QRME about it, and they were like, "Hey, are you sure about this?" Yeah, yeah, but you know, no, but I'm... like, I think I suppose I want to thank you on behalf of the ME community for for having these ideas and pushing them forwards because we need people like you to actually to to raise the the profile of ME because we we like you say it is it is so frustrating when you when you see so much stuff that's that's negative or just misrepresenting what ME is in, in the media and, and in society's general. And, and, and even if, even if you haven't experienced the stigma firsthand by comments from doctors or from other people, it, that's, you can still feel that stigma generally because of how it pervades media and, and society and, and social media and things like that. So it's, yeah, thank you for, for all you, you work and all that you do. Um, you're welcome um, but it's like i think from the patient the fact that i've got patient experience helps yeah. a lot i mean it's a downside as well because i can't put as much time effort and energy as i would love to um you know i'm not very good at um pacing myself but i have to be mm. better than i am because it's so easy for me to run out of energy weirdly you saying about creativity when I was going through my, I'd say I'm out of my long COVID now. It lasted around two and a half years. Um, and now I'm just left with, just left with the worsened mm. ME symptoms that are lingering. Um, mm. But the additional symptoms I had have gone mostly. But I feel feel like I've lost my creativity. I feel like that bit of my brain that used to come up with wacky ideas every week mm. isn't as creative as it used to be so i guess when i had the concert idea i grasped it because i thought this is the first yeah, yeah. idea i've had for a while um but i do think having the patient experience of me i've had the stigmatizing comments from gps i've had to take them to an ombudsman i've had mm. relatives telling me oh big deal you've got no energy eat a kit kat mm. i've had it I've got the lived experience of that kind of thing. What I haven't got experience mm. of is severe ME. Um, and as you saw during the launch, just talking about that gets me incredibly upset. And I've always wondered mm. why. And I think it's because I know that there is the risk for all of us that that could be in our future. Um, mm. And it's a acknowledgement of the just how bad it is, I think. Um, mm. And I don't think you need to be... I think even the most hardened person would get upset if you look into just how bad 
very severe ME, severe ME is, mm. and some of their life experiences. Mm. Do you have? I think I think you've sort of answered my question already, but do you, you seem like a um, somebody that's yeah that is sort of buzzing all the time with ideas, and we we were just watching. We were both just watching the Women's World Cup, and um, and we were talking about adrenaline, and 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 I, and I can I can relate to that as well. But do you have mechanisms to sort of switching off and resting, or do you do? Because I know when I, I, particularly for the podcast and something that we've kind of developed over the last few months since since we started, that I sometimes go and lie down and think I'm going to have a rest time now, and then I start and get ideas popping up in my head while I'm resting, and and that's kind of it's it's both a creative mechanism, but it's also frustrating as well. So is that something you experience, or is it? Can you can you shut down from all the things that are going on in terms of all the ideas and all? Oh, I can contact this person, or, or or yeah, is that something that you manage, or is it very difficult for you? It's very difficult. I've got a beanbag in my office now. It's it's my office is an Emmy as Emmy appropriate as it can possibly be. <laughs> um, so hmm. I've got dimmed lighting, I've got blinds, I've got sunglasses if I need them, and I've got a beanbag for rest breaks. And I when I remember when I'm not in the zone and completely not being a very good Emmy person, um, I try and do mindfulness. I just find a video or a mm. podcast thing on my phone and I try and zone out. And that is when my brain usually goes, I need to email the Department of Health and Social Care. <laughs> oh, no, I haven't responded to that person yet. Or, oh, that's yeah. an artist I could invite to the concert. Yeah, very difficult to turn off. I yeah. do. I have the equipment. <laughs> it's just yeah. trying to, to turn the brain off is really not easy. Yeah. And I, I agree. Yeah. So many people say on Twitter, Facebook, that pacing is actually really difficult, really mm. difficult. When people say, oh, yeah, you know, I wish I could take regular rest breaks. It's like, yeah, but we're not just sat watching telly or whatever. It's literally taking ourselves yeah. away and completely trying to shut down as much as possible. Yeah, um, yeah pacing is very difficult for me mm. personally, mm. especially if I'm trying to do it in my work environment. Mm. Um, I mean, it was. Mm. I did it for ease, so I didn't have to go indoors to go for a rest break. But because I'm surrounded by maps and notes, and, and I find I don't know about you, Dan, but when I when I write a note to remind myself to do something, I'll forget that I've written the note, and I won't find it till mm. three weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't actually help me. My my memory's awful. In the last couple of years, it's got really bad. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm like that sometimes with messages. If somebody messages me, I think I read the message and then I think I'll come back to that. And then it's like I see it a couple of weeks later and I'm like, oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you one question I was going to ask is the enormity of the task seems so massive, just generally in terms of all the different things that you're busy doing. And but in terms of awareness of ME and funding for research and it, it, it like any sort of cure or treatment just seems like so far out of reach at the minute. Do you get disillusioned by that? And what keeps you going to, to keep doing what you do? It's <laughs> a big question. Um, uh, well, yes, I get disillusioned. I can't tell you the amount of times I'm in tears at home thinking, why is no one listening? Mm. Um, and that's when I step away from Twitter because I don't want to bring everyone else down with me at the same time. Um, mm. It is. It's huge. It's not. Mm. It's not just climbing Everest. It's the Himalayas, one mm. after the other after the other. And every time we start getting somewhere, there's a consultation that says two hundred and forty-one thousand people no, mm. um, or 
you know, there's some kind of news or, oh, yeah, we're going to, um, a research study that's focusing on psych, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, mm. I thought we got past that. That mm. was like five years ago, wasn't it? No, actually, yeah. the last one was a month ago, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. yeah, I do. I get incredibly down. But at the same time, you know, it's kind of someone's got to do it. Mm. And I know that there's multiple someones. But and I kind of I know it sounds a bit deep and a bit Oprah, but I kind of feel like this is my mission and my this is my journey now. Mm. And as long as I've got the energy to put into it, I'm going to mm. continue. Mm. Obviously, trying not to make myself worse at the same time. But the mm. motivation's there. But I'm not I'm not going to lie. Literally every week or so, something happens and I'm like, oh, I can't do this anymore. But then I'll chat to people online and I'm like, actually, no, I have to keep going because X, Y, Z is happening now. This is happening mm. now. Mm. Um, you know, and I have got, I've probably got about 10 people within me that message me privately and keep me going. And I think mm. you have to have that private support network that you can be really mm. honest and swear with and do all that because obviously online I have to be professional. But, you know, there's probably about 10 people that know the real the real mm. feisty, fiery, I'm not mm. having that, Sally. <laughs> yeah. I, I am very mm. stubborn, which it works against me and with me. So the stubbornness helps with the I'm not a quitter. I'm going to keep going with Emmy Foggy Dog, with Stripey and with Redefining Gravity. <laughs> um, but then there's the bit of me that's, um, yeah, There's it does work against me at the same time. I don't put myself first quite a lot. I'm, I'm like mm. stubbornly, no, I'm not going to do it like that. I'm going to do it like this, where a lot of people with me would probably find a plan B, a different way of doing it. But I find it so difficult to come up with ideas and ways to do things that once I've settled on it, I'm like, no, if I don't do it that way, it's not going to get done. If you know what I mean? I, I personally link that to stubbornness. But yeah, so I'm, you know, dog with a bone. Emmy is the bone. I'm just going to keep going, keep going. So just to recap about Redefining Gravity, it's a, it's a, a concert that you're hoping to put on next summer in July. And you're hoping to get um, as many high profile acts as possible um and uh, have you got a location or anything like that at the minute no because it's um i'm entirely reliant on what's offered to me and that could be up in yorkshire could be london could be down near where i live on the south coast so i'm just leaving it open but obviously if i've said a minimum of 1500 people then in theory somebody that could offer me that space i've even emailed the um people behind glastonbury in case you know this is mm. going to be a week or two after glastonbury if they've still got all of their barriers and staging up would they be prepared to leave it up i don't know i didn't get a reply but you never know mm. they might have a massive inbox <laughs> you know i'm hopeful i'll keep emailing mm. them um mm. but yeah so everything is what's offered to me so obviously I'm emailing mm. a few people saying, would you mind helping? Could you perform? But I'm hoping if I ever manage, I've got a volunteer, Karen, who's writing to the press saying, have you heard of Redefining Gravity? Is this something you'd like to cover? And she hasn't had any luck yet, but we'll keep going. Because mm. um, obviously if somebody sees that on telly and they've got, I'll say, a country mansion and they think, oh, actually, that'd be all right for a couple of thousand people. Yes, I'll give them that space. Or someone that owns a staging company or an agent for a band might see that and, 
and then the ball will get rolling. So if anyone's watching mm. this and you've got any links to the media, please help, because um, I really mm. don't think that we're going to get anywhere unless we start making headlines. But I am, I am mm. definitely modelling it on the type of thing behind Live Aid and the Freddie Mercury concert, because they all came together mm. for a cause. It's possible. It happens. Mm. I mean, people say, oh, the music mm. industry's moved on. Things don't work like that anymore. Why not? This is a crisis mm. or emergency, as I said a minute ago. We need that. So I don't care whether it's mm. what we do now. We need to have it. And I keep explaining it as yeah. a once-in-a-generation event because this is our generation's health crisis um, mm. because everything else with this amount of patient numbers has a treatment or a cure. Um, so it's a, it is a global emergency slash health crisis of this generation. So we need a once in a generation. What did you call it? Something concept. Uh, oh, I said benefit. benefit I think, yeah. But I don't know if that's the term. It probably is. is. I don't, yeah. um, some benefit fundraising concept. So we need a once in a generation one of those. And I really don't mm. care if it's not what you do now. Can we please, you know, mm. try? Because we need something this impactful to make a change. Mm. Um, you know, I'm mm. prepared to put the effort in, but I do need people outside of our community to embrace it and run with me with mm. it um, just to see if it can happen. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um yeah, and, and I hope hopefully other things that maybe you're thinking about potentially making it accessible to people with ME as well in terms of like offering some sort of live stream or is that not something you've kind of even got to think about? Yes, yeah. um, a couple of ways. Well, one, can you imagine if it is similar to Live Aid, why can't <laughs> we get TV coverage? True, um, true, you're telling true. me if, if, big if, touch wood, it will happen. But if it happens... A band doesn't have a YouTube channel that they could stream it live on. Um, so there are mm. ways to stream it to people around the world and those that are housebound. Mm. But also those that are well enough to come to, to the concert, I was thinking I might offer, if it let's pretend it's going to happen, right? It is going to happen. Yeah. So when it happens, yeah. I might offer 50 free tickets to people with ME or their carers give a bit of love mm. back to carers um 50 yeah. free tickets and because everything's going to be given to me for free why can't we have a soundproof pod for rest breaks mm. for people with Sounds energy good. impaired illnesses at the side of the stage because i didn't realize that cold play does sensory areas where people with wow. i think it's autism that they focus on but it's to minimize mm. sensory overload so they've got a section when they have concerts. So why can't we have a soundproof booth with mm. recliners, all that kind of stuff? So anyway, so yes, like I am yeah. thinking of ME and obviously long COVID yeah. and fibro and all those kinds of people that would want to come to the concert if they are well enough. Um, but yeah, like mm. I say, if we do manage to sign up a mega band or Dolly Parton or whoever, Marley Cyrus, <laughs> they have their own media streams. So there's no reason why mm. we can't work together to stream it. And it's free mm. publicity for them, isn't it? So it's mm. not, you know, let's be brutally honest. 
it's not that celebrities won't benefit from taking part in this. It's going to be a bit of kudos to them in the same way that they got kudos mm. for Live Aid and kudos for Freddie Mercury. We mm. all still show those clips mm. and say, oh, how wonderful was it? It was amazing. Oh, they did all that for Live Aid and whatever. Mm. Why can't this be that? Um, mm. I don't know whether they're being put off by the stigma or maybe they really don't understand what Emmy is. But that's why I said earlier, it's part of the challenge. I'm not going to get anywhere unless I can mm. convey the seriousness of the situation to people that are outside of our bubble. Keep, and you've just got to keep knocking on doors, I suppose, and, and, and hopefully one of them will, will open and, and, yeah, there'll be some traction. And, and like you say, once you get a little bit of a little bit of coverage or a little bit of, of traction with it, then it, it grows, doesn't it? So, yeah, that's it's that's that's definitely the hope, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I'm a, as you said earlier, I'm kind of a, I see a problem and I've got a can-do approach. I'm just like, yeah, I can mm. deal with that. And then I think about how I'm going to do it. Um, and I do get frustrated that other people outside of our bubble aren't the same. They're like, oh, but, you know, mm. I've no risk or... Am I going to get attached to the stigma? Are people going to think about it? It's like, well, it's man, man-made man stigma. The ME mm. itself is a disease that wrecks lives. Mm. It's the associated mm. nonsense that's the stigma. So you can help people mm. with the disease. Forget the stigma. <laughs> um, let us, mm. We've got to deal with that. You don't. If you want to come from outside of our bubble and help, please don't let the stigma put you off. Um, mm. One of my um, directors spoke to their, a Harley Street director, uh, sorry, a Harley Street doctor that they know. Mm. And he kind of said, oh, I wouldn't touch that with a barge pole. It's surrounded by controversy. So when they came to the um, board meeting next, I said, that's a doctor saying that to you. Most of the stigma surrounding ME has been created by the medical profession. Mm. Um, mm. So, you know, fortunately, my directors get it. And I think they were a bit surprised by the comment. Um, but that's mm. that's why I'm realistic about what I'm up against. <laughs> because mm. I, I hear yeah. so much stuff like that every day because I reach outside of our bubble as much as possible. And, oh, it's mm. just another health condition. You know, what makes you so special? And it's like, actually, it's not just another health condition. Mm. There's an awful lot of man-made rubbish in our past that mm. has made having me significantly worse and we all know about the quality of life mm. being appalling so mm. it's yeah. not just another health yeah. condition i mean they didn't say that about no. the aids crisis did they They'd still had a freddie mercury concert no. um mm. yeah. so, but yeah so have no fear everybody i'm still motivated to do it to do all three emmy foggy dog stripey and redefining gravity but it is tough and the reason i've got a one million pound fundraising target for foggy and a one million pound target for redefining gravity isn't because i think i'm going to raise that much money by clicking my fingers but it's i think it's unrealistic and bizarre to say that you're going to try and raise anything less than a million pounds if you are an organization like emmy uh, foggy dog is um, yeah. because yeah, we don't it, aim low, do we? Yeah, that's the bare minimum that we need now. The absolute yeah. bare minimum. Um, yeah. I've, I've done the, the rough maths. If we are equitable to comparable diseases in terms of research funding from governments, we should now, based on estimated figures, 
we should now be getting 50, five zero, 50 million pound every year mm. in the UK. Mm. But we haven't had more than mm. 500,000. So this mm. is kind of my point. A million still isn't enough. But that's our starting point. Mm. So um, anyway, so I'm hoping mm. the people that don't know anything about me will see the fundraising target and go, what do they need a million pound for? That's a lot of money. Yeah, mm. that raises awareness of the need for a heck of a lot more money in a very vague, mm. random way. Um, but yeah, I do think one million is the absolute bare minimum. And that's partly mm. why yeah. um, people are going to be paying money for their tickets to the concert because that's where the research funding is going to come from. Yeah. No, it's it's a brilliant idea. It's a brilliant concept. And and uh, I love the idea of yeah trying to make it as accessible to people with ME as possible because, we, like, I, I'd love to be there next summer and I'd, I'd love to be, you know, kind of um, involved as much as possible. But I know that I possibly probably won't be able to given kind of my recent recent kind of baseline. Um, but to be able to kind of watch it and just feel involved in that way would be amazing. And to, yeah, and to um, have as many people involved as possible and aware of what's going on and, and feel part of it is 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 going to be really good. So um yeah thank you for that and and uh, it'd be brilliant if we could kind of catch up maybe like next year and find out how <laughs> things are going or, or or afterwards after 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 the aftermath of it and 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 kind of like yeah just just sort of touch base again it would be that would be that would be brilliant and um yeah thanks for thanks for being involved and, and thanks for um coming on post-exertional mayonnaise and, and i hope everything goes well um and i'll look forward to kind of seeing how it progresses over the next year online and and, and i'm sure lots of people listening will will do as well so um thank you sally for coming on and thanks for your time thank you for having and, me um, we'll maybe speak to you speak to you next year hopefully so thank you